Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. Great to see all of you who are here on this midsummer Sunday. So happy to see all of you who are in the room, and I welcome everybody on our online campus. I hope you're well today. And we're excited about all the things that are happening uh, with all things online, all over the country, different places in the world. So glad you've joined us today. Um, Today, I'm going to talk about this idea of a GPS, uh, a way to help guide us toward the life God dreamed for us. And uh, I hope to share this in a way that is both a a teaching from Scripture and also really practical in terms of next steps that we can take in our life with God and the ways that uh, we're trying here at the Life Christian Church to help guide people, uh, to be a guide, if you please, to help people live the life God dreamed for them. And we're especially trying to emphasize right now as we've soft-launched our online campus that we're providing this not just here in West Orange, but we're providing this wherever anyone participates in the Life Christian Church, any place in the world. We're really excited about it. Hey, if we haven't met, my name's Terry Smith. I'm the lead pastor here at the Life Christian Church. Let me, let me begin my talk today by mentioning uh, something put forward by a business theorist named Douglas McGregor. Uh, uh, McGregor believed that managers manage according to their particular assumptions about human nature. As a result, he developed the Theory X and Theory Y concepts of management where he juxtaposed two management styles, again, informed by how the manager views human nature. I've mentioned this before. I like to think about this in several ways. In brief, a Theory X manager basically believes that most people are really unmotivated and aren't willing to put forth the effort to reach their potential. Consequently, according to a Theory X manager, people have to be very closely controlled. They're given little freedom. They're directed in nearly every way. And uh, that Theory X manager believes that's what's necessary, what's necessary to accomplish anything of consequence. Then McGregor posits his Theory Y concept. Theory Y concludes, a Theory Y manager concludes that Basically, a Theory Y manager has a much better opinion about people. A Theory Y manager believes that people have a desire to excel, that they possess the capacity to be self-motivated, and that they want their work to be meaningful and about more than just a paycheck. And so a Theory Y manager gives people lots of freedom and power and the resources they need to accomplish organizational goals and that individual's dreams. Well, I was studying this years ago uh, in the, the, the text management of organizational behavior written by the great Ken Blanchard, who I have the privilege to know and to have worked with a little bit, and his, his co-authors. And Blanchard wrote this, managers may have a theory why assumption about human nature, 
but they may find it necessary to behave in a very directive, controlling manner, as if they had theory X assumptions with some people in the short run to help them, quote, grow up, end quote, in a developmental sense until they are truly theory Y acting people. Now, I hope that makes sense to you. In other words, a manager, so posits McGregor, can have the best assumptions about people and want to give them freedom and power and resources and so on, but sometimes has to manage them in a theory X way until they grow up to the point where they can be managed in a theory Y way. Well, I'm not interested in talking about business today, but what I'm interested in talking about is growing up. And there's this idea that I have that sometimes, though God, if you please, is a theory Y God, creating people with immense capacity and giving them freedom and will and the ability to to, to choose whether or not to connect with their destiny, that sometimes God, because of human fallenness, has to manage us in a theory X way until we grow up and he can really treat us the way he wants to. Can you understand that principle? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, one of my favorite verses, I've probably taught on this hundreds of times. It's where Paul said, no, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. As it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And he goes on in chapter 2 talking about how the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to us what God planned for us before the world began that has to do with the glory he destined for us and how it's so great that human eyes can't see and human ears can't hear and the human mind can't conceive it. But then it goes into chapter 3 and he says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. For you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? In other words, he says, God has all this amazing stuff that he destined for you, but I can't even talk to you about it. Because you're acting like a bunch of babies. And he's talking to these people in Corinth who were immensely gifted spiritually, but still considered to be immature because of the way they were conducting their relationships with each other. He says, God is a theory why God, but your theory acting like theory X people. And until you grow up to a place where God can treat you like he wants to, well, I'm going to have to talk to you about things other than what I really want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about all the good things God wants to do in you and to you and through you. Wait, I can't talk about it until you grow up. Now, here's the good news, and this is what I want to talk about today. It's the fact that we can grow in our lives with God. We can grow in our lives with God to such an extent that God can do in our lives the things that he desperately wants to do, the amazing things 
See, at the core of Christianity is an amazing capacity to experience life-expanding spiritual growth. As followers of Jesus, we're told in Scripture, we have the potential to actualize the whole measure of the fullness of Christ in our lives. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and said, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. And here's the potential of maturity. It's actually attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And he says, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Jesus was and is the most fully actualized human being who has ever lived. He is the perfect human being. And when we confess our faith in Jesus and are baptized, we experience a spiritual birth that launches us into new life with God and the ability to grow more and more until we actually become more and more like Jesus. What does spiritual growth for a believer in Jesus look like? Well, spiritual growth for a Christian is becoming more like Jesus. It is closing the gap between the first Adam, our fallen selves, our old selves, our theory X selves, and the second Adam, our risen selves, our new selves, our theory Y selves. Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus actually lives in us. And if we let him, he will help us become more like him. There's a great example in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 of what it, the, the capacity for spiritual growth, the help the Holy Spirit gives us for spiritual growth, and the kind of things that are manifest in our lives when we grow spiritually. I'll just read it. I won't even explain it. It kind of is, is, is uh, easy to understand on its face. By his divine power, Peter said, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life, a life that reflects God in this world. We have received all of this by coming to know him. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature. Make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of, this is what it looks like when you grow spiritually. It's not comprehensive, but this is the kind of thing you can expect. Moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we grow in our lives with God and become more like Jesus, we advance in every possible positive human quality. Now, this isn't just, spiritual growth isn't just about becoming a nicer person, which is how I've heard a lot of people talk about it who have very wimpy views of what it means to be a Christian. It does help you become a nicer person, but it doesn't just help you become a nicer person. It also helps you become a more powerful person and a more productive person. Jesus wasn't just gentle, he also worked with profound authority. He used great power to do great good. When you become more like Jesus, you'll be more loving in your relationships and more effective at work. 
You'll be more comfortable in your own shoes and more confident to take action to achieve meaningful things and so on. You'll be more fully actualized as a human being because you will become more like the perfect human being. This is what happens when we grow in our life with God. We become more like Jesus. Put another way, when a person grows spiritually, you see the results. When someone grows in their life with God, it affects every area of their life. It's not just knowing more about the Bible, which is another way I'll hear people describe spiritual growth. It's like the person who knows the most about the Bible is the most mature person. I've known people who have a lot of knowledge about the Bible, but don't seem to know Jesus very well. It's not about the acquisition of knowledge. It's about knowing Jesus better. And when Scripture serves that, then we're properly studying Scripture. But we're studying not to know a thing, we're studying to know a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And as we know Jesus Christ better, we become more like him in every way of our lives. So, so then I would say it's not just about knowledge or knowledge. You ready for really bad words I've made up this week? These are not, not bad words, like bad words. These are like poorly constructed. Anyway, it's not just about knowledge. It's also about orage and doage. Forgive me. If you're growing, it's not just about what you know. It's about what you are, and it's about what you do. Arledge, a beautiful example, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's not just about what you know. It's about what you are. And it's not just about what you know and what you are. It's about what you do. For instance, doulage. I don't know, maybe I'll title a book that or something. Colossians chapter 1 verse 10, live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. It's about what you know, it's about who you are, it's about what you do. So again, spiritual growth is about becoming more like Jesus, the most fully actualized human being who ever lived, and when you become more like him, it affects your life in every way. What you know, who you are, and what you do, and what you do ultimately, Second Peter just told us, is, cause, is manifest by being more productive in our lives. Now, let me, let me talk about it like this for a few minutes. To grow in our lives and become more like Jesus, we must do what Jesus did to grow in his life with God. How do we learn how to grow in our lives with God? Well, I would suggest we learn to grow in our lives with God by watching what Jesus did. We're trying to be like him, right? So what did he do to grow in his life with God? You may say, well, Jesus didn't need to grow in his life with God. He was God. Well, he was God, but he needed to grow in his life with God for reasons I'll just uh, get into here in a moment. John Thompson, in his, in his wonderful book, Convergence, said, wrote something that I've been thinking about for a couple of years. He said, before we can think seriously about becoming like Christ, we have to think seriously about how he was like us. Before we can think seriously about becoming like Christ, we have to think seriously about how he was like us. Us. It's deep. I didn't say, I, I'm not, 
I'm just reading what someone else. I'm, say, I'm not so deep. This guy's deep. Here's the deal. When Jesus came to earth, he willingly placed himself in the same position to God the Father that we have to God the Father. He chose not to function as God, though he was God, but as a human being who relied on his relationship to the Father and depended on the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill his mission. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 7 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, and here's the money phrase, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The theological term for this is kenosis. Now I know you're taking notes. It's like kenosis. K-N-O-S-I-S, if I have it correctly. Kenosis, you don't ever need to think about that again, but here's the principle that is important. Kenosis describes the fact that in the incarnation, Jesus put aside his divine nature, at least in part. He did not stop being God. He couldn't stop being God. But he willingly emptied himself and decided to not take advantage of his godness. He decided to play by the same rules we play by. Why? He wanted to show us how to live in relationship with God the Father. And because Jesus chose to function as a human being, he needed to grow as a person and in his relationship with God. So you'll see a passage like Luke chapter 2, verse 51. Jesus matured, growing up in both body and spirit, blessed by both God and people. Jesus, when he showed up, willingly emptied himself, or, or as the text says, chose not to take advantage of his godness, but he lived as a human being in relationship to God the Father, and consequently, Jesus, the human being, had to grow up physically, he had to grow up emotionally, he had to grow up spiritually, he was not a fully formed, fully actualized human being when he was lying there in the manger. Do you understand? He actually needed Mary to nurse him. He was a human being. He decided to lay down his godness to be a human being and to show us how to function in relationship to God the Father. And by his life and practices, Jesus showed us many things, including how to grow in our lives with God. So I said all of that then to introduce Again, what we're talking about in this particular series and this theme around discipleship this trimester, our discipleship pathway that we call our GPS. I just, we're, 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 we're trying to get everyone located in this. Obviously, we moved on beyond this, but we really believe that it's imp- we have so many new people in our congregation, so many new people engaging our online campus that we feel like it's important to kind of get us located in how we're helping people live the life God dreams for them. Our mission here at the Life Christian Church is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread his love in ever-winding circles. And we really get up every day to help people do that. So this discipleship pathway is a guide, 
that will help people if they follow their GPS, live the life God dreamed for them. By the way, some people get confused about all the airplanes we use. I explained last week that uh, our, our address is 747 Northfield Avenue. And when we were building this place, we said we were building an airport, not just a place people go to, but a place people go from. I, I, it occurred to me this week, though, that some people get confused about what I mean by go from. It doesn't mean you go and that's it. It means you go and you come back. It's a hub. It's an airport. Airplanes, they go and they come back, right? People have round trip tickets, right? So some people say, pastor, you know, every week now, pastor, I'm moving to, I mean, say a bad state if you want to. It's like you said we were building an airport. Yes, but you misunderstand. and, and, and then it just occurred to me that if I really love people, I'll encourage them to stay. I will, like this week, I've been saving this for a while. Wallet Hub came out with uh, its survey, uh, a study based on 52 key indicators. This has nothing to do with my sermon. I just want to say this. Best states to live in. Did you see this? Number one state was what? They said New Jersey, but Jersey people say Jersey. Number one in safety, number five in education and health, number seven in quality of life. The best state to live in this statement, in the the United States. Now also, it's the second most expensive. But listen guys, you get what you pay for. If you want to buy a luxury car, you have to pay more. If you want to fly first class, you have to pay more. If you want a vintage bottle of wine, you have to pay more. And so it costs more to live in New Jersey. It should. It's the best state in the union to live in. You know, it costs less to live, let's just say, for instance, in North Carolina. But the problem is, you have to live in North Carolina. And North Carolina's number 28. And Texas is number 33, and Georgia is number 35, and South Carolina is number 46, anyway. (laughs) We just lost everybody on our online campus. One week. (laughs) Oh, that was fun. Let me talk for a few minutes about the G on the pathway. The G is for grow (coughs) in your life with God. And I want to make the connection between the practical steps that we offer here for spiritual growth. Afterwards, I'm going to be told by Amanda, our online campus pastor, how the numbers just started going down on the screen. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to bring New Jersey to you every week. I want to make a connection between the practical steps we offer for spiritual growth here at TLCC and the actions Jesus took which promoted his spiritual growth, okay? So if you look at at the grow line of our pathway, you'll see three things, a spiritual growth plan, baptism, and an area of destiny course. Let me start in the middle. It's not linear. Uh, Let me start with baptism. And I think that, that 
Well, I, hopefully it will speak for itself in terms of why I believe this is important. We emphasize baptism here at the Life Christian Church. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus was baptized. And when he was baptized, he was affirmed as the beloved Son of God and empowered by the Holy Spirit. His baptism launched him into his destiny. Luke chapter 3, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Theologians for 2,000 years have seen this as a beautiful picture of the Trinity, where Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit descends on him, and the voice of the Father comes and says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I have well pleased. Well, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then he survives the wilderness uh, uh, successfully and then we're told Jesus returned to Galilee and the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside so Jesus was baptized as a man as a human being as a human being he needed to hear the affirmation of the Father as a human being he needed the Holy Spirit to come and propel him into his ministry and I believe that we need the same thing, only more. I believe that our, at our baptism we receive the affirmation of the Father and are empowered by the Holy Spirit to embrace and engage our destiny. Baptism is part of our initiation into Christ. It's part of what happens when we're born again. Again and again in Scripture, when someone declared their faith in Jesus, they were immediately baptized. To believe was to be baptized. John chapter 3, Jesus very famously said, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And then he said very truly, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. I have become more and more convinced that uh, along with the, uh, the, the bulk of, of, uh, uh, of theologians around this subject, that when water is referred to here, it's referring to the waters of baptism. In the past, I've said and I've thought that the water here referred to the, um, to the, the, to the water of a mother's womb. And that you, you, you have, first you're born naturally or by, out of the womb of your mother or the water. And then, but I, I, I've been studying this lately and have, have come, become convinced finally for, I think, a lot of good reasons. That when water is referred to, it's referring here to the waters of baptism. And what did Jesus say? He said, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. Jesus had just been baptized. Uh, his disciples were baptizing people like crazy. Um, John the Baptist had just brought revival to Israel, and he was dunking people in the water, in, in the waters of baptism. When, when, when someone was talking about new birth, Water would certainly have been on people's minds. And this seems to be what, what, what this passage indicates. I, I like the words of Frederick Dale Bruner in his commentary on John who said, the new birth occurs when a human being is moved to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ by the divine spirit and so to seek public Christian initiation and baptism 
And then he refers to John chapter 3 where Jesus said you must be born again of the, the, the Spirit and the water. And he said Jesus is describing one event signals by a single preposition connecting the two nouns, water and spirit. A little sausage making there, but I just want to put that out there for, for, for the record that I believe that part of the new birth experience is being baptized in water. This coupling of baptism with spiritual birth is incredibly important. Now, what does this have to do with growing in your life with God? Well, you have to be born spiritually to grow spiritually. Baptism is part of being born from above. It seems to me that someone who is a believer should fall all over themselves to be baptized. We're told in Scripture, furthermore, that when we're baptized with faith in Jesus in our hearts, that the Holy Spirit works something powerful in us that has to do with cutting out our old nature and sparking the divine nature. You've heard me teach about this before. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul said, your whole self ruled by the flesh, your theory X self, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Baptism is considered by many to be, to be the, the uh, circumcision for a Christian, a spiritual cutting away of, of, of the old us, the old us out of our hearts, just as in the same, well, anyway, I, I'll leave it there. Having been buried with him, Jesus, in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So we believe that when we're baptized with faith in Jesus, working in our hearts, that the Holy Spirit comes, and in some way it's impossible for us to understand cuts away the old self and sparks the new divine nature. And this is part of our experience of being born again. We're raised to live new kinds of life. Now this is why we practice a believer's baptism here at the Life Christian Church. A believer's baptism means that we only baptize people who've reached the age of accountability, or who are old enough to understand enough to confess their faith in Jesus. Because we believe that what makes baptism efficacious is, is faith in Jesus, and that when we believe in Jesus, he shows up through his spirit in the waters of baptism, and this is part of our experience of being born again. And this experience is so powerful that it's part of why we expect to live a new kind of life. For instance, Romans chapter 6, Paul asked a rhetorical question of the Romans. He said, shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life in the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul says... Are we just going to keep on living the way we always lived, where our life was centered on ourselves and we were missing the mark and therefore consequently living in sin? He said, of course not. We aren't going to live like that. Why, Paul? Because we were baptized into Christ. 
And we, when, we're, when we were baptized into Christ, the old us, the old theory X us, got buried in the water, and a new us, who we're really meant to be, got raised up, just like happened to Christ. And therefore, he says, we're not going to keep living the way we've always lived. Why would we do that? In fact, it's almost as if he's saying, how could we do that? To which I want to encourage some of you who may be struggling with particular, uh, overcoming a particular sin or wrestling with a certain habit or having trouble having success at some dream that God's given you. Sometimes you need to remind yourself of the truth of Scripture. And part of the King James in Romans 6 says, reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive unto God through your baptism. Sometimes you have to reckon yourself again as to who you really are through Jesus Christ. Sometimes sometimes in our prayer time, it's not just saying, oh God, help me with this thing I'm dealing with, but it's reminding ourselves of what God says about us and who we really are. Hey, I'm I'm not going to continue to struggle with this thing because why? I was buried with Christ in baptism. I've been raised to, to have a new life. My divine nature has been sparked by God. I'm not going to live like the old me who couldn't get out of my own way, even when I'm suffer, struggling with something like that, but I'm not satisfied with that. I don't accept that. That's not who I am. I am a new person through Jesus Christ. My theory why self is going to show up. All right. We're having baptisms on August 8th. Good news. Now, let me be real frank. This is the strongest I've been about this for a long time. If you're a believer and you haven't been baptized, let's do it. Okay? August 8th, let's do it. And this is part of how God works in our lives to propel us into our spiritual life in which we have immense capacity to grow in our lives with God. You say, well, now, why are we, what's the whole connection here between everything you've said? Well, I'm not totally sure that I understand a connection between everything I've said, except Jesus grew in his life with the Father by fulfilling certain practices, and one of those practices is he was launched into his destiny from his baptism where the Father affirmed him and the Holy Spirit came on him and empowered him to go in the power of the Holy Spirit and to do what God, to live the life God dreamed for him, if you please. All right, here's the second thing, and I've got to hurry. We intentionalize spiritual growth by practicing spiritual discipline. So if you look at, at the GPS our discipleship pathway again, if you look at that, you'll notice uh, the spiritual growth plan. Let me speak to that for a few minutes. Don't get too nervous because I'm going to be three or four minutes on the last thing, which is area of destiny. So let me dig in here for a few moments. We intentionalize spiritual growth by practicing spiritual discipline. So back to Jesus. Jesus practiced spiritual disciplines because he needed to practice them in order to grow in his relationship with the Father. Remember, he decided not to take advantage of his godness. He decided to live as a human being. So if he's going to quote Scripture like crazy, guess what he's going to have to do? He's going to have to study Scripture. He could have tapped into his godness where he knew everything, but instead he willingly decided 
kenosis, right? You guys remember all this. He willingly decided that that's not how. Now, what, so this shows us how we can grow in connection with the Father. And when we study the life of Jesus, we see him constantly praying. We see him fasting. We see him attending services at the synagogue. We see him practicing community. We see him practicing solitude. We see plentiful evidence that he read and studied Scripture. These are spiritual disciplines. And we, we, when we talk about spiritual disciplines, which we talk a lot about around here, because they are so incredibly important, we talk about spiritual disciplines, we're talking about things we either abstain from or engage in in order to fully focus our attention on our relationship with God. So disciplines of abstinence, for instance, would include, this isn't a comprehensive list, but would include fasting. It's something we don't do. We decide not to eat. Solitude, silence, simplicity, sacrifice. Disciplines of engagement would include things like study. These are things I'm going to do. Worship, corporate worship. Being together for corporate worship is a spiritual discipline. Prayer, serving, fellowship, confession, giving. The regular intentional practice of spiritual disciplines is the most, the most important thing we can do to experience spiritual growth after we've been born again. We know this from the teachings of Scripture. We know this from practical experience. We know this from study after study about how people grow spiritually. And we know this from the example of Jesus. This is why we organize everything we do here around our trimester spiritual growth themes. And again, I know most of you are very aware of this, but, but there are enough of us who aren't. And I want all the folks who are joining our online campus to have the opportunity to hear me talk about this in just a moment. All right. So the genesis of our spiritual growth thing. Again, a little bit of sausage making, but I, I, I think this is kind of important to know. All the way back in October of 2010, our church participated in a nationwide survey of churches called the Reveal Study, the most advanced sociological study in history about what helps people grow spiritually. And our church uh, participated with a bunch of other churches, and when it's all said and done, we got a report that was about that thick. When it was all said and done, the key learning for us was that in comparison with all these other churches, most of them large, growing, thriving churches, we, were, we barely made the top 50 percentile in terms of how we were doing to help people grow spiritually. Well, that ticked me off. I don't want to barely make the 50 percentile of most anything, except, well, anyway, I don't know. We went to work. And it's from that that we developed our spiritual growth theme, where we began to plan everything by trimesters. How many of you have ever heard this story? Wow, I'm actually saying something new. Only three or four people have ever heard this. This is great. I'm going to go another half hour now. <laughs> and and that, this is when we developed, and it was totally original with us, this whole idea, we're going to build everything we do, we're going to ask the question, how are we going to help people grow in their lives with God? And we decided we were going to take four months at a time, we are going to have a spiritual growth theme, we were, going to do, we were going to try to be creative about offering different series and stuff, but we were going to dig in for four months and people said, people, what we were told by all the experts is, people won't hang in there for four months. 
They, people don't have that kind of attention span. You know, do 25-minute sermons and, and have a four-week series at least. Because, But see, I'm a theory-wide pastor. I believe more of people. I believe people want to grow. I believe people want to learn. I believe people want to be challenged, as evidenced by the massive crowd in this room on this morning. But anyway, I believe this. <laughs> I believe, I'm a, I don't know what's wrong with me today, but I'm in a rare mood and I'm always in a mood. So, so, so uh, we set off to do this. So we, we preach about a thing for four months. We talk about it in life, in life groups for four months. We, our pastoral team writes amazing daily devotions every morning for people to read scripture in alignment with what we're doing. We, uh, we have next steps often involving spiritual disciplines that we challenge people to. And we just go after it in a number of ways, recommended readings, etc. Well, we did that, and then we did this survey two years later, October of 2012, and, and there were many more churches involved in this particular survey. However, we moved, as you would expect from a New Jersey church, we moved all the way up to right to the top five percentile. This wasn't, you know... We decided we weren't just going to hope people were growing. We decided we were going to go. You say, what are you guys doing every day at, at TLCC? We're getting up every day to inspire you to the life God dreams for you. As we spread his love in every winding circles, we're getting up every day saying things like, how can we help people grow? How can we help people participate with each other in ways that are meaningful for their growth? How can we help spread God's love in every winding circles? We're really going to work on this. Now, there are many spiritual disciplines that you could practice. Our spiritual growth plan isn't comprehensive, of course. I, I, I don't care what devotional you're reading if you're devoting. I, I, but, but, but let me tell you, there is something powerful about an entire congregation, people wherever they are, online campus, West Orange campus, wherever they are, together, thinking, focusing on the scripture, praying around some of the same things. This is an amazing thing that we've seen over the years. And, and, and let me just close this section by encouraging you in three ways. First of all, if you're new to all of this, maybe you're new to Jesus or you're new to the Life Christian Church, one of the most important things you can do is simply engage our spiritual growth plan. It will help you grow. I promise you, it will help you grow. Spend time every day reading scripture. Spend time every day in prayer. Come together for worship regularly. These things help us grow. And, and um, so the second thing that, that, that I would say is some of you may say, you know, I've, I've been a believer for a long time, and, and um, I, 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 sometimes I, 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 you know, I feel like I keep coming back to things I might have already learned and so on, and I don't know that I want to come back to something as fundamental or rudimentary as following a spiritual growth plan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Let me say that there's a tremendous power in just continuing to learn. Uh, I, I read that the Talmud said that one cannot compare someone who learns something a hundred times to someone who learns it a hundred and one times. There's a, there's a theory that now in sociology called the law of accelerating returns. And the idea is that when you learn something 101st time, it has, it's not like linear. It's like building on all your other knowledge. It has accelerative 
power. It, it's, it's exponential. That's it, it, the reason why it's said that in the 21st century, we won't have the same amount of learning that every other century had, but built on all these centuries, we'll have 20,000 times the learning than has ever been had in any previous century. Why? Because it's an accumulation of knowledge, which is to say the smarter you are, the more you need to understand how much you need to go back and keep learning. I've been studying scripture for decades. I need to study it more than ever, and the more I study it now, the more I see connections and things that fit and things that speak to me about God and who he is and how much he loves me and all of that kind of stuff. Don't ever stop having a hunger to grow and learn. And the third thing I would say is if you feel stuck in your spiritual life, another thing that was discovered in this survey that I'm talking about is the most important thing to help someone get unstuck is to practice spiritual disciplines. It may not sound, you know, that exciting, you know, but the most important thing you can do to get unstuck isn't to go to some big revival meeting where everybody's shaking all over the place. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying that sometimes people are looking for the sensational thing to get them unstuck. But the thing that will get you unstuck is get up tomorrow, take the spiritual growth plan or take scripture and read it and think about it and focus on God and pray and show up in church next week and get involved in a small group and follow, do a day of fasting, asking, you just, you can you are ultimately responsible for your own spiritual growth. And you have to use the tools God's given you as well as some of the things your church is trying to give you to help you grow. Okay, um, if you might say, how do I get the spiritual growth plan? Well, this is true for signing up for baptism on August 8th, which I'm hoping a number of you will do. And this is also true for the spiritual growth plan. If you're in the room, scan the QR code and the connection card, click spiritual growth plan. You'll get the devotional sent to you every, I don't actually know when it's sent, but you'll get it every Monday. And it's already written, right? Did you write it this week, Jason? I thought you did. So you're going to get a devotional written by Jason Pettibone. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be fantastic. And um, so if you're watching online, click connect at the top of your screen, click spiritual growth plan. Here's the third thing. The third thing is that we help people embrace their destiny. And if you look at the pathway again, obviously this is a big deal around here. Ultimately, we want people in order to live the life they dreamed to, to, to know their area of destiny. See, the gospels teach us that Jesus knew who he was and what who he was and what he was sent to do and that he did it, that he embraced and fulfilled his destiny. And I believe that in order to live our God-dreamed lives, we must know what our lives were to be about and to embrace and go after whatever that is, that we must know and fulfill our destiny. Jesus didn't just know things and have a close relationship with the Father. He had a mission. And so do you. I promise you, you have a mission. And so we, the way we talk about this is area of destiny. Our area of destiny is what God designed our lives or destined our lives to be about. And we've been working on this for years, but um, uh, we're now compiling all of our learnings over the years into a new course that we're going to present this fall that will help you 
discover and live in your area of destiny. And if you'd like to be a part of that wherever you are, again, you can go to the QR code or click the screen and you can cite your, express your interest in this. And this fall, we're going to have a wonderful new course that's really going to dig in to helping people discover their area of destiny. But here's the overriding principle for today. Spiritual growth will be manifest in what you actually do as well as in who you are. When we grow in our lives with God, we get involved in what God's doing in the world. We find our place. We accept our assignments. We joyfully do what needs to be done. And when we do, we experience the beauty of destiny fulfillment. See, the fact is you can live the life God dreams for you. And you can grow to a place where this theory why God, who believes so much in you, can tell you the things he's been wanting to tell you and do in your life the things he's been wanting to do in your life but maybe he's waiting for you to grow until that happens. Would you stand with me, please?